That sound, ladies and gentlemen, is the sound of your ear being penetrated with the smooth voice of myself, Michael, and Thomas as we bring you Rangers coverage every week at 7 or 8 o'clock on Bantering the Blue Shirts. I'm back the behind snow. the driver's wheel because uh, I can be. Thank you to, to Tom, who stepped up the past two weeks and uh, ran the show. Um, myself, Michael, and Thomas are here. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be a fun day slash night slash whenever you're listening to this on your own time. Um, fair warning, it is about 7.01 and the power has flickered maybe 10 times the past hour or so. So if I suddenly disappear, Mike and Tom will be thrust into the chaos of not having a leader for the show. And um, just know that's why. It's not because I hate you. It is because the power is out. I hope you are all nice and warm and safe and dry. Um, Yeah. Michael, Thomas, how are you guys doing tonight on this fine, wet evening? Cold. Pretty good. Snowing a decent a bit where where I am, but uh, other than that, pretty good. Cold, snowing, snowing, cold. Um, <clears throat> I guess there's really no easy segue from cold into what the Rangers were in Western Canada, which was red hot. Not really, actually, but um, they did win all three of their games, pushed themselves to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eighth from the bottom. They have 66 points with uh, 67 games played. Arizona, who is currently winning the lottery as we speak, has 51 points in 65 games. Um, I think a lot of people expected to see the Rangers start to lose a lot because of the, the moves that they made, and that really hasn't happened to this point. And there's probably logical reasons for that that we're going to go into. But, um, Mike, are you surprised? by the fact that the Rangers got that, those three games in a row out West and, you know, maybe some thoughts on, on long-term what those games may or may not mean. Yeah, that's been, it's kind of been interesting to watch what this team, you know, Shane and I did the, the mailbag piece for banter and uh, it's, I feel like this is just what happens when you get a really young and hungry team when if you're not a young guy in this team right now, you're playing for your next contract, you know, with Hayes and Nemesnikov and, you know, a Spooner obviously and VC. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to see how the team has kind of reacted to, there's no more, there's no more specter in the room about this trade deadline. This is just, there's no expectations around this team. Now it's just like open auditions for, who can be a part of the solution here moving forward? And I think some fresh blood has really made a big impact. And I don't know, it's, you know, it, it has some people murmuring and wondering, you know, what happens if this team does kind of, you know, open a door like in a, in an old slapstick comedy and fall through it or something. And, uh, I was trying to think, is that Buster Keaton? I don't, I don't know my old, uh, my old timey black and white television comedy references. Uh, yeah, but I, uh, that's terrible. It's all terrible. Um, I, I feel like this is just a result of, of this team being young and hungry. And the, like I said, there's no more distractions. I'm, I was not surprised to beat Edmonton. Edmonton's been pretty terrible. Um, and 
I I'm still trying to figure out how this team scored six goals against the Canucks. I mean, the Canucks are not known necessarily for you know stellar goaltending and great defense, but uh, you know this team this is a team without Grabner and Nash and without Miller, and they put up six on Vancouver, including an overtime winner. So it's been pretty impressive. Tom, what, why are the Rangers winning, or what sometimes winning now? Well, I think you could look at the story of why they're winning is one that's been familiar for most of the season, and that's goaltending. I mean, if you look at their trip in, in Western Canada, let's just, let's just pick the two games that, that Lundqvist played. He faced 106 shots. He stopped 100 of them, and they, they won two hockey games. He became the first goaltender since they started tracking shots against to have 50-plus uh, saves in back-to-back games resulting in victories. And then even if you want to look at the one night off that Hank got, I mean, you know, he dude doesn't deserve any nights off. You just got to ride him as long as you can. You have uh, Alexander Gorgiev. He faced... 37 shots and he stopped 35 of them he had an amazing first win against uh, an Edmonton Oiler team that they're down you know near the bottom of the standings but that doesn't change from the fact that they have the greatest player in the world in 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 Connor McDavid Um, and they they made it interesting a little bit you know I mean Rangers score then Edmonton scores and Rangers scored again, and then Paul Carey, of all people, he, he got back on the score sheet tipping a shot that I think initially a lot of people thought was a clean goal by uh, Cody McLeod. Um, so it was it was one of those types of games, and they just found found a way to, to win in Western Canada, and then the one stop they don't make in Western Canada, which is which was Winnipeg, and uh, they, they come back uh, last night, and they're shut out. You know, Patrick Line, three goals, two on a goalie, one on an empty net. And uh, that's kind of where where we, we sit right now. Uh, I know Joe's having – we're recording this in the middle of a blizzard, and Joe's worried that something may have just hit his house. So it's just Tom and I uh, adrift on an iceberg in the sea here. I wanted to ask you, Tom, because this has been crossing my mind lately – do you feel like uh, Georgiev can be the backup moving forward um, as kind of that guy who bridges the gap before Igor gets here and, you know, the, a goaltender who you could maybe even, you know, start start testing him more in the NHL and see what – I mean, we've seen very little of him against NHL competition, to be fair, but, I mean, from the little bit we've seen, it's been encouraging. I mean, it's a super small sample size, but – I I find him to be a really interesting case just because of, you know, the Rangers didn't draft him. This was a, you know, a goaltender prospect who is essentially, you know, not not quite like a kid anymore. He, you know, he has experience playing in the KHL and, and here, you know, he's been, he started off a little rocky in the AHL, right? And then when the Wolfpack kind of had, they had no business turning it on and having all that success. And he was a really big part of that when uh, Merrick Mazinek went down. 
with his injury. Um, I'm I'm only saying this because I think it's a foregone conclusion that Pavlik's done uh, as a Ranger. Um, in many ways, I still feel like it was a you know his injury. I wouldn't have been surprised if they tried to just get move him for anything they could have gotten. But I don't even think we did. We even see a goalie move to the deadline, Tom. I don't believe there yeah. was a a major goalie trade. I'm trying I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Um, I don't think that there was. Oh, there was. I don't well, remember even not like at a death the death goalie move. Well, I don't think anyone. Well, not at the there. deadline. Prior prior to the deadline, um, Mrazek went from uh, Detroit to uh, Philadelphia. That's right. That was true. That's right. That was yeah. and um, because Pittsburgh gave a goalie up in the Broussard trade. Their prospect. Uh, yes, I think it was Gustafson. Yeah, Gustafson. Yeah. Gustafson. Yeah. Um, but to answer your your question, Mike, um, my thoughts with Gorgiev is is this: next year, I think the plan should be regardless that you want to have a season where Lundqvist gets close to a fifty fifty split in terms of games played as he's ever been before. I think that for a while we saw that the plan with Lundqvist was to limit his games played because the notion was that the Rangers are playing so many games in the playoffs. There's no reason to have him start 60 or more games. I think in years back, it was like 55 games, 57 games, some somewhere around that range. Um, so they're going to need a backup. And given the way that things are going to be next year, I think that you're better off having someone like Gorgiev who's not going to make a ton of money is someone that you want to see a little more out of. So you get a sense of what he can be. So I would sort of, sort of run with him and, and to, to sort of look at um, prior to the call up um, some of the, you know, the activity he faced. So I'm just reading off his, his stats page on the AHL.com. Yeah, he's, so, only, yeah, 20, he's only 22 still. It's really impressive to me that, you know, we don't really see goalies this young. I mean, you know, to be granted, again, small sample size, and it's not like he's an 18-year-old or something, but it's it, he feels like he could have been a really great find, and that's the sort of thing that could make take some of the sting away from, you know, this transition to rebuilding. So if you look at his last five starts prior to being recalled, he makes 38 saves in a shutout. He makes 48 saves. He makes 16 of 17 saves. He makes 33 of 37 and then 43 of 46. So that was a, a nice little stretch there, but prior to being called up. But, I mean, Adam has talked about this a little bit on Twitter. Um, I think it was again in, in the Oilers game in specific that he's shown flashes of brilliance, but he's um, he was like got caught cheating um, in his net like twice. And that was, you know, one, yeah. one was a goal against and one was a near goal against. But I think that from an evaluation perspective, what, what means more to the Rangers uh, having a backup do good that they sign that, what they ultimately trade because they're gonna it's gonna be on a one year deal and there's there's no reason to keeping it around or you say we're gonna give Gorgiev a chance to be our uh, NHL backup which in turn opens up an opportunity for someone else to be the AHL starter so from a complete 
goaltending evaluation perspective prior to even considering um, Shesterkin coming over, I, I can't see them um, going wrong with at least giving Gorgiev the backup role to start next year. And then in the event that it doesn't work out, how hard is it to get another goaltender with NHL experience, uh, whether it's through free agency or someone that's just hanging around in someone's system as a third goalie with a like sixth round pick or, or something to that effect. Yeah. The Rangers really can't go wrong here. Um, Georgiev, first of all, he, he's 22 years old, like Mike said, but you're talking about a guy who the past two ball. years has had seven games worth of experience in Liga, which is the Finland professional league, the, the top tier league there. Um, he's got a 270 goals against average in the three games he's played in, but you know, a 930 save percentage. Um, he's looked good. He looks like he's secured next year's backup role for sure. And like you're talking about, Tom, if, if the Rangers do indeed get Trist Yorkin to come over, and I don't see any reason why he wouldn't, um, all indication has been that next year will be his last year in Russia, and then he'll, he'll come over to Broadway. Um, and you want to get him some games in the AHL, that's fine. Georgiev can be that kind of stopgap between the two of them. Now, with that said, the Rangers are eventually going to have to make a decision. Is he going to be the backup? Is just Jorkin going to be the starter? What's the deal with Lundqvist? Um, there's a ton of value in a guy who maybe is 24, 25, who could potentially be a starting goalie for another team. I haven't seen anything from him that's led me to believe that he can't get to that point. But that's a decision for down the line a little bit more than it would be right now. And I think the Rangers getting a hard look at him right now is a really good thing. Pavlik is going to walk at the end of the year. I don't think there's any reason to keep him around. I agree with you, Tom. I think Lundqvist is going to get the closest shaving to 50-50 of, of his time that he's ever seen before. And, and he's going to be 37 at the end of next year or 36 at the end of next year. I think he's 35 right now. Um, he's 36 right now. Oh, he's 36 right now. So he's going to be 37 at the end of next year. We're not talking about this young spry Henrik Lundqvist anymore. We are talking about a guy who needs to have his situation monitored. And I, I just wonder if the Rangers don't think that they kind of hit a home run here because at the very least, Georgiev is going to be a stopgap for them. I mean, it's, it's hysterical in a way because if you really think about it, this organization had no goaltender prospects four years ago. I mean, it was barren. There was no one in the pipeline. The Rangers were running just anything that they can find in the AHL. There was no prospect to think of. And now they have Halverson. Now they have um, Wall. They have Georgiev. They have Shostakovich. Huska. There's a lot of guys in the system. And it's, you know, listen, give the Rangers credit. They targeted a weakness of this organization and they took care of things. Um, But I think Georgiev, there's no downside to this at all. Shostakovich ends up not being what we want him to be or expect him to be. So be it. I mean, the Rangers have time to figure this out, but this is uh, this is not the organization that has just completely overlooked a position because of Henrik Lundqvist anymore. They're just not those people. Um, I ran away before because I thought a tree fell on my house. It it didn't, but it's like leaning over my house. That was the noise that I heard. Did we talk about O'Gara yet? Did I miss that? 
No. No, but we're, then we're we going to talk about him right about now. It. Yeah, right, yeah. Um, I've brought this point up a few times. First of all, I think it's hysterical. I think this is the first time I've said hysterical, and I've said it like three times in the past five minutes. Um, I think it's insane that the New York Rangers have <clears throat> excuse me, more wins than the New York Islanders do, and the Rangers have four previously mainstays in the AHL on defense. They have Cody McLeod prowling the fourth line. Uh, Paul Carey and Peter Holland are getting key minutes every night. And O'Gara has really been the only kid that's been brought up or given a real opportunity to kind of show why they belong that just does not look like there is an NHL future for him. And he was really a throwaway in the Holden deal. I think a lot of people kind of forgot about him, but the Rangers have no depth in defense anymore. They can't take everybody from Hartford. So he's up here playing. And I just don't think there's an NHL defenseman in O'Gara. I just don't see it. Um, This is not a guy who has really impressed. I think he's been on the ice for like 40 of the Rangers goals against even strength so far. Um, Mike, I know you agree with me, but just what do you have to say about this? Well, yeah, there's there's one point I just want to make off the bat. He's going to be 25 in July. I mean, he's this is a guy who's you know was a former fifth round pick in 2011. He's not young. Um, he is very much you know a guy who's you know bounced bounced around between the AHL and Boston you know the previous two years, but he's not quite. He's never really cemented himself as like, oh, this is a dependable, uh, you know, kind of defender. To me, you know, the thing that stands out about him to me is he's six foot four. Uh, He's big, but he's not mobile at all. And he seems to have really bad awareness around the net, specifically with tying up sticks and, you know, getting to rebounds and just getting, you know, getting danger out, out of the way in front of the net. And when you're that big and you can't skate, you need to be able to have that presence in front of the net where you can just, you know, tie up sticks and body people. And for whatever reason, O'Gara has not been able to do that. And this is, it's really interesting to me because of, you know, that there's Brendan Smith just rotting away in the AHL right now. And, you know, everyone knows that he has to get his head back on straight. But you did say, Joe, you know, that there's no... This team is just absolutely, you know, they're tapped out. They don't have any more defensemen to, to call. Decimated is a good I, word to use. Yeah, I just wonder why why is this, you know, O'Gara thing persisting? Um, I, I I feel like, you know, we've seen him play seven games for the Rangers now, and, you know, I, he hasn't had an okay game to me. He's been bad or really bad. I mean, he that he's mostly playing with D'Angelo on the third pair. And I think really that's the thing that has irked me the most is I don't feel like we're getting a fair look at D'Angelo when this is such a huge deal for him to be in the lineup right now. And, you know, there's very few young guys and prospects in the Rangers system that need this really unique opportunity more than him. I mean, let me, let's play this game very quickly. Um, the Rangers have, like I said, four defensemen 
who started the year and probably would have finished the year, well, three defensemen who started the year and would have finished the year in the AHL. D'Angelo was a little bit of a different case. Um, you want to know why the O'Gara thing has persisted, and here's why. Let me read off the defensemen currently playing for the Wolfpack and who are eligible to be called up for the Rangers. <laughs> Brandon Crowley, Chris Bigris, who the Rangers acquired for Ryan yeah, Graves. Um, Brendan Smith, who I think the Rangers are sending a message to, and he will not be coming up for the rest of the year. Sergey Sergey Zabrowski and Ryan Sproul. And then, oh, my favorite. Zabrowski was in the ECHL uh, before all Hubert Labrie. You ever heard of that guy? Hubert. Is it Hubert? I think it's like a Hubert Labrie. Hubert Labrie, yeah. I don't even know who that guy is. I've never even heard of him before. I'm literally Googling his Elite Prospects page right now. He is 26, and uh, he's a former Hershey Bear. So he was an AHL trade at some point this year. So, yeah, you're not talking about – He doesn't about, have a picture on Elite Prospects. That, no, which uh, is absolutely uh, shocking. Uh, um, that's, uh, so that's here's something. the thing. Theoretically, Sproul could come up because he has gotten a cup of coffee in the NHL with the Rangers. Um, he hasn't looked bad at all, but the problem is the Wolfpack are fighting for a playoff spot and the Rangers are not. So what do you do? You can't take up everybody. And I, I think O'Gara is the consequence of that. You have to leave, you know, somebody down there in the minors to actually play like that's, it's just, you need that. So the flip side is, yes, we are getting a long look at O'Gara. And, yes, I think it's maddening that he's with D'Angelo because you'd think of all the defensemen on the roster, D'Angelo's the guy that you'd really like to get a good look at because he may be the guy that's around next year. But I got news for you, and we can kind of move this to the next topic. I have been unbelievably impressed with John Gilmore. I think his his speed and skating – he kind of reminds me of, of Shea in a lot of ways. Um, not necessarily oh, I have a question seemingly... for you after this, Joe. Do you want to ask it now? Sure. I'm, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but no, it's fine. I, uh, so we have Shattenkirk, right? Who you know he's he's on one leg, but he might be coming coming back soon. Although I don't really see the purpose of getting him back on the ice, honestly. Um, I, I think you just say that here's a wash. You let him heal up. Right, you have Shattenkirk, and then I think everyone unanimously, Tom, I'm sure you would agree, that the next best Rangers defenseman is Brady Shea. Uh, so my question to you is who the hell is the third best Rangers defenseman right now? It's mm, a good question, and I'm going to say I think it's John Gilmore. When? I would agree with John Gilmore. I think it's been John Gilmore. I think when? that this, this whole situation – has been exactly what the – like Gilmore needs to thank his lucky stars because he's proven he can be an NHL defenseman. He really has. There is so much good about John Gilmore right now. Go ahead, Tom. Yeah, Gilmore is, is played very well, and the pairing of John Gilmore and Brady Shea specifically um, – I'm reading off something that was tweeted out uh, today. There was sort of a thread on on the Rangers' defense by uh, – Ranger Smurf. Um, so John Gilmore and Brady Shea as a pairing have spent 83 minutes and 28 seconds together, five on five. Their Corsi four percentage is 56.42. Uh, 
what that breaks down to is 101 for uh, 78 against. Uh, they are even in goals for and goals against. And in terms of scoring chances, a thir- a 57 for, 33 against. That's a 63.33 scoring chance for percentage. I, I think the biggest reason for that is both of them are amazing skaters. And one thing that it's fun to watch them do is when they're moving the puck up the ice. I mean, historically, you've always seen with the Rangers, they've always tried to have one person bring it up and then it's everyone else sort of falls into position. But with Gilmore and Shea, both of them are great skaters. So they can sort of go D to D and then move it on up the ice. And it's just worked pretty well. And I think that's something that the Rangers need to consider when they're looking at pairings next year is you want to have players that can skate on each pairing. And when you can put them together, um, that, that makes it even better. I think one of the things that was very noticeable at times is when you, for example, you had times where you would have say Mark Stahl and then you would have, Um, Dan Girardi like last year and it was a situation where you have two players that aren't the greatest of skaters and then the puck sort of just dies and then this year you have Shattenkirk who was skating well moving the puck you have Shea you know skating well moving the puck McDonough so on and so forth where if you looked at the defense who would you say that the worst skater was in terms of lack of mobility it would probably be stall and they were at least for uh, a little bit managing his minutes so that it wasn't a huge detriment. And I think the promotion of all these guys from Hartford gives them something to think about. And it, maybe it sort of changes the process. I mean, uh, granted some of this will be, reflective of who the head coach is, who the assistant coach is for next season. And that's something that could change for the Rangers. And I would really hope that that, that's something that that does change, that they sort of look at this, this youth that can move the puck and really they're just playing. They're not so much being coached. And that, that's something that will eventually have to happen because you, as we said in in the opener, you had Lundqvist facing, you know, back-to-back games of, of 50 or more shots which is something that obviously can't happen. But I think that's, you know, part and parcel to coaching and structure and systems and things of that nature. Yeah. And look, it's not going to get any easier. The Rangers defense is not going to get any better, not until next year. And even next year, I don't think the defense is going to be very good because you're dealing with, again, a group of people that losing McDonough, I don't think people really realize just how much of an impact that's going to have on this organization next year. And I don't really mean a long-term thing. Look, the Rangers did what they needed to do. They made the right decisions. It is what it is. Um, Ryan McDonough was a casualty of the Rangers kind of putting this off for a few years and, Maybe he wouldn't have had to be. Or maybe the Rangers realized they didn't want any part of his contract and they wanted to get value out of him while they could. I don't know. I don't know the answer, but they did the right thing. You know, whatever their motives were behind it, I guess, could be debatable, but they did the right thing. Um, The Rangers are not going to be a good hockey team next year, and it's going to be because of their defense, which has sort of been the M.O. the past few years regardless. But 
I do think, just to kind of circle back to your question, Mike, I do think John Gilmore has proven he should be an NHL defenseman. And his wheels are good That's enough. That's a big deal. He kind of reminds me of a little Brady Shea. I think the Rangers found something here that, at the very least, again, like George, you have a stopgap for if Rekoff is going to come over, if Ryan Lindgren makes the jump, um, if Libor Hayek come around. And you would expect two of those three to definitely make the team within the next few years. And it, it kind of seems like Hayek is the closest of the three of them. But I, I really do wonder if the Rangers took a look at what they have right now and they're impressed because Pionk really hasn't looked out of place. It's sort of difficult to really judge just how good or how bad these guys have been because of the situation that they've been put in. Um, This is not a good hockey team and it's not a great environment for uh, trying to evaluate talent. Not that Vigneault has been good at that particularly anyway, but um, it's hard. It's hard to do regardless. And I think Gilmore has shown a lot of reasons. I, I wish we could get a better look at D'Angelo. I really don't love D'Angelo being with O'Gara. Of all the defensemen, if Gilmore is the one who's kind of proving the most that he should be there, um, D'Angelo is the most important guy because he's what you got back for Stefan. You, you, you need something there. And the Rangers really haven't taken that hard of a look at him. I, I know it hasn't been great with, with D'Angelo, but it, Again, this is a guy who hasn't exactly gotten the most opportunities to kind of do something, and it's just – it's a little frustrating. Um, Mike, you were the guy who wrote about how this second audition for D'Angelo was really important, um, and I do want to ask you about your thoughts now that we're a few weeks away from that. But first, we have a little advertisement that we need to read for all of y'all. No! And it's for Casper, because when this podcast is over, you're going to want to go to sleep because there's literally nothing to do outside with all of the snow. Um, here's the most important thing about Casper. You like to sleep because sleeping is important for humans. And you spend, what, a third of your life sleeping? 30 years, I think they say, sleeping. So you need to have a good mattress because the mattress that you're on is a piece of crap, unless it's Casper, in which case it's not. Um, It is designed by humans for humans. They're cleverly designed to mimic human curves, providing support comfort for all kinds of bodies. I have a strange pear-shaped body. Mike has a body sculpted from the gods, so the bed works for both of us, even though we are very different. Um, They offer two mattresses, the Wave and the Essential. The Wave features a patent-pending premium support system to mirror the natural shape of your body. The Essential is streamlined design at a price that won't keep you up at night, and Casper also offers a wide array of other products like pillows and sheets to ensure an overall better sleep experience. And the best part, they are all designed and developed and assembled in the United States of America. There are affordable prices because Casper cuts out the middleman and sells it directly to you. And there's free shipping and returns in the United States or Canada. And that is a big part of our audience. So you can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100 night risk-free trial. And it's the sleep on it trial. Um, the code that you can use is casper.com slash blue shirt banter. The promo code is blue shirt banter. That should be pretty easy to read. You will get $50 towards your select mattress by visiting casper.com slash blue shirt banter and using the promo code blue shirt banter terms and conditions do apply. So thank you, Casper and uh, go get yourself a bed, a nice bed, not the one that you're on now. It's garbage. Um, 
spinning back to hockey, Mike, you were the one that wrote about how this was really important for D'Angelo. What have you seen out of him that has it been a positive experience? Has it been a negative experience? Um, we're talking about how John Gilmore has really taken that next step that he needed because of the opportunity. And I'm just not sure we've seen that from D'Angelo. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. He's been, he's been easy to overlook, which is not something I, I feel like he can afford right now. Um, you know, he, he can't really afford to be being outshined by guys like Pionk and Gilmore, you know, just because of what his pedigree is and what his ceiling is. But to me, it's, it's been interesting, especially post trade deadline, you know, and looking at, you know, the ice time he's getting, he's playing a little over 16 minutes a night. He's like, we mentioned, he's been on that third pair with O'Gara. And since the deadline at even strength, five on five hockey, he's been on the ice for four goals for and four goals against. And he and O'Gara have both have those numbers. But what's interesting is that, you know, when D'Angelo's on the ice, the Rangers have better scoring chance numbers uh, than they do with O'Gara, which is not surprising whatsoever. I do kind of wonder whether or not, you know, he's getting, you know, the, the kind of, the sort of attention and opportunity he deserves, or I feel like that he should deserve based purely on his skill. I mean, I, we've talked about the off the ice stuff before, but, you know, this is a, a guy who's, you know, 22 years old and, you know, just four years ago, he was a first round pick and, you know, he's, we, Joe, you and I talked a lot about this in early in the season about just how good he is of a passer through the neutral zone. And, you know, he just has, he has a lot of the tools that make him really exciting, but John Gilmore, who was a former seventh-round pick that the Rangers signed as a as a free agent, is just you know he's he's completely outshining him. And I wonder, you know, if if D'Angelo is getting some of the same opportunities, whether or not he would make you know more of a splash. But to me, I feel like this is not to kind of simplify it. I think it just hasn't gone well for D'Angelo, and I I think a part of that is yet yeah, he's not with an ideal defensive partner but the other part of that is you know he hasn't been able to make his mark on the power play lately and that's been you know he this is a guy who needs to do that you know he needs to kind of establish himself as the guy who makes the power play work and in the last four games the Rangers really haven't had anything going on their power play so I've been I've been trying to play particularly close attention to him because how can you not I mean it's not his fault that he is he has the Derek Stepan, you know, price tag attached to him. And, you know, it's it's not his fault that, you know, he's been, you know, c- kind of tugged up and down between, you know, whether or not he's going to be in the lineup or not uh, in the middle of the season there. He has all the potential. It's just uh, this issue of, you know, he can't put it all together and he needs this. I mean, we've said it five or six times already, but he needs this opportunity. And so far, it's been pretty mediocre and lackluster. What stands out for me is with D'Angelo, and I'm looking right now at a a gift from uh, the game against the Flames where Ryan Spooner got his first goal. 
D'Angelo's in his own zone. He gets some pressure from a Flames uh, skater. He does this little spin and turn to create some separation, and then he just feeds a beautiful pass up the ice to Spooner, who takes it, goes in on a breakaway, and scores. This, uh, to me, was I, I've been trying to find it, but I thought I saw this before. It was like a classic exchange with Delzato and Gabrick, where Delzato would just sort of have the puck, and he would wait, he'd wait, he'd wait for Gabrick, and then he would just throw it all the way up the ice. Gabrick would get it, skate in, dipsy doodle, and score. Um, I think for every play like that from D'Angelo, there is an instance where he doesn't get his man, he's caught puck watching. Um, so it is somewhat frustrating because you look at these plays and you go, oh, oh man, there's really these good offensive instincts in there and the ability to distribute and skate and, you know, head fake and, and make these amazing plays. But at the end of the day, I think they looked at D'Angelo of being something more than, than what he, he could end up being. I think they looked at him as a top four defender where right now he looks like a third pairing guy who you have on your right side and then you use yeah, your, your, your power, power play. play. Yeah. Well, this begs the question to how much homework did the Rangers really do on D'Angelo before they traded for him? Because I, I think Tom had mentioned it back when the Rangers were playing the Coyotes a couple of months ago. The Rangers were entering that game with zero NHL assets back for Derek Stepan. And let's not kind of mince this or, or sugarcoat it. D'Angelo would not be in the NHL right now if it weren't for all these injuries. Now, whether that's an indictment on him, whether that's an indictment on the Rangers, whether that's an indictment on both of them, and I think that's probably fair, you know, D'Angelo needs to show a little bit more. I, I think Tom is right. We've seen those flashes of offense, those, those moments of where everything kind of fits, and it's just, wow. I think D'Angelo runs an unbelievable power play. When the puck is on his stick, even at his worst, I think when the puck is on his stick with the man advantage, there's a danger there. Now, guys who are power play specialists and otherwise your sixth defenseman aren't exactly that, that hard to find. But D'Angelo's ceiling, you know, in 2014, when he was traded from the Lightning to the Coyotes, Scott Wheeler, who used to run pension plan puppets, um, he now writes for The Athletic, he's one of their prospect guys as well, said that D'Angelo was the best puck-moving prospect on the planet. And we're three or four years removed from that, and it just hasn't translated into anything. I mean... D'Angelo's looked okay. At best, he's looked good. But I think more often than not, we sort of get a mishmash of, ugh, like bleh. The games where I don't notice him, I think those are successes for D'Angelo because I don't notice him. And, you know, there haven't, hasn't been a ton of offense. We've seen these flashes, like I said, but you would have expected D'Angelo to do more. Now, is D'Angelo getting top-line minutes? No. Is D'Angelo getting this unbelievable opportunity that Gilmore's gotten? No. You can make the argument that Gilmore's deserved it, that Gilmore's earned that opportunity, and I would certainly say that that has merit to it. But like I said before, I think D'Angelo is the most important of the defensive prospects that the Rangers have currently playing, 
because he's the guy you got back for Derek Stepan. And Elias Anderson is nice and he's great, and we may see him next year. We're definitely going to see a little bit of him this year. But D'Angelo's 22. There's not a ton of time left here for him to kind of make, for him to kind of make you know, this, this impact. And he does have eight points in 29 games this year. It's not like it's been a total lost cause. But he's also a minus 17, and I hate plus minus. I think it's a terrible stat. But I do think it in very small samples. Like, he's been on the ice for 17 more goals against than he's been on the ice for. That doesn't necessarily indicate whether or not they were his fault or not. But in 29 games, that's a semi-staggering figure. So, I, I just... I don't know if the Rangers really did their homework on him. I don't know if the Rangers realized how much the off-ice stuff was going to impact things. There was the incident where he was going back at fans on Twitter while he was in the AHL a few months ago. Um, that thankfully seemed to be beyond that. But he spent just as much time in the AHL as he has in the NHL. And I don't think he's been particularly impressive on either platform. No, no. I mean, really. you're talking about a he, guy who's a who, scratch in the AHL. Yeah, he had 13 points in 29 NHL games. He has eight points in 29 NHL games. Last year for Syracuse, excuse me, two years ago for Syracuse, he had 43 points in 69 NHL games. For what was a 19-year-old, those are unbelievable statistics. He had 14 points in 39 NHL games with the Coyotes last year. 16 points in 25 of their AHL games last year. Those are, those are good numbers. I mean, you are talking about a guy who was on pace for a 30-point year in the NHL, and that's just not what we've gotten out of him yet. Is it a case of the guy not really having, like, not being able to go through the lumps, Vigneault not really giving him an opportunity? I don't know. But I do know that this is somebody who has an unbelievable amount of talent and really is one of those rare you can kind of build your defense around this guy in terms of the offense talent. And I just don't know if we're ever going to see that. I think the coyotes knew what they were doing when they sold. It's like you scratch the first two numbers off on a lottery ticket and you kind of know what you don't have. I mean, I hope he proves us wrong. I see the talent for him to prove us wrong. I just, this has been a golden opportunity for him. And he really has not taken advantage of it. So. Tom, you had a point. Yeah, it gets to a point with D'Angelo where um, it's almost how much time are they going to give him? Uh, I think that to answer your question in terms of how much homework they did, I really think and it, it's a situation where they knew Derek Stepan's no trade was going to go into effect and they they moved him. I mean, it it came out that there were conversations being had between John Chaka and of Jeff Gordon for quite some time that they, the Arizona Coyotes really, really, really wanted Derek Stepan. And it's a situation where if you follow the tea leaves and you follow what's been reported that going back, that the Rangers tried to move up in the draft to go after Clayton Keller. It's not hard for me to say that maybe they were pushing for Keller. They were told no and then they just moved on. And then instead of Keller, it became their first and their next best prospect, uh, not named Dylan Strom. Um, I think it's somewhat interesting, and it's 
in, in, in some ways, some, you could say, well, part of it is because they did trade Ryan McDonough. But you look at the trades that the Rangers have made, the one constant in all of it has been the return of a defense prospect. They get Rikoff, they get Hayek. I mean, they got O'Gara, although I don't count him a prospect. They got Lindgren. It's this concept of they're looking at their defense, and you could say some of it is that they've promoted from within, um, but they see that as a long-term organizational need, and I wonder if that's in preparation of saying that we don't know if D'Angelo is going to work out for us. Um, we Maybe we think that some of these guys from Hartford can fill our roster out next season, and therefore he's somewhat redundant. And then we're we're getting prospects to to fill in on the back end, which we've then moved up and and things of that nature. Um, but at, at some point, you you see these types of players all 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 the time. I mean, if you go back just a few years ago, you look at the Rangers having Rafael Diaz. He was someone who great offensively uh, could skate, but the defensive elements of his game were, were not the greatest. And he was on occasion even used just as a power play specialist where they, they would dress an extra defenseman and just use him on the power play. Um, I think that you can look at the prospect of what D'Angelo potentially offers, but I'm wondering where he does fit in in the shuffle next year. You you can call out the names. Um, unless they trade Smith in some sort of deal where they retain salary, you figure he's going to be around. Shea will be around. Shattenkirk will be around. Uh, potentially Stahl will be around because if they're not, they're not contending, it doesn't make sense to buy him out from a financial perspective. So there you're at. You're at four or five if you have Pionk, if you have Gilmore. So is he an odd man out? Is it a situation where they can say, well, here's this really good prospect that, you know, he didn't work out for us, but he might work out for you type of thing. It it, it comes down to tolerance, I guess. Tolerance of are we seeing the things that we we thought we would in terms of the offense? Or is the offense as, as advertised? And are there things that we can teach for for him is, is are there things that he can be moldable that he can be serviceable and ultimately I think those decisions maybe they they say well let's try these players with a new coach and and see what happens so that that potentially I think could be a saving grace for D'Angelo where they they just look at this evaluation and as we've said all the new guys that have come in and just played and excelled maybe that's the case with a new coach which does have a lot of merit to it. I mean, don't forget that when Vigneault came to the Rangers in the first place back in 2014, JT Miller wasn't playing hockey. Chris Kreider wasn't playing hockey. These guys were not being used by the Rangers. And Vigneault, to his credit, really did give them freedom in 2014. Now, he deviated from that path because he wanted to. He didn't have a choice in 2014. He didn't know what he had. He didn't know what they were. It just was what it was. He went in with his hands in the air and said, you show me what you are. And I remember the motto was like, fresh slate, go grab it or something like that. And we moved away from that vigneault in the years to follow. 
But that year, he was this breath of fresh air that we had never seen before. And I do think we're still sort of seeing these lasting impacts with Vigneault and coming from Tortorella because we have seen the Rangers make more of a, a determined effort to scout European players. We have seen the Rangers kind of move away from the we need grit and toughness, and even if that's a very recent deviation. The players that the Rangers acquired in all of the trades, like we talked about last week, were acquired because they could skate for the most part. And these are not, you know, your run-of-the-mill Dylan McElrath-esque picks. The Rangers have started adjusting their strategy. And a new coach can come in and give these guys a breath of fresh air. I think Kevin Hayes. I absolutely think Pavel Buchnevich. I think a guy like Tony D'Angelo. I think even a Brady Shea. Even a Brendan Smith. I mean, let's not... Let's not remove his fault for being where he is right now if he did come into camp out of shape. But these guys look at a breath of fresh air and a new system and think to themselves, wow, we can really do something. And I think that was a big breaking free of John Tortorella's shackles with Vigneault was a big reason why Chris Kreider and JT Miller became what they became. I believe that. I truly believe that. And I think that the shackles that Vigneault, ironically enough, have placed on guys like Kevin Hayes, have placed on guys like Buchnevich, who's still only playing 11 best or the 11 minutes for forwards at five on five, these guys will have an opportunity to kind of take that next step. And the new coach will breathe new life and new strategies into this organization. I think the Rangers need that desperately. So it's not a bad point to make, Tom. It's really important that the Rangers realize that if they are bringing a new voice into the locker room, and I would have to assume that they're going to, that in doing so, they're going to unlock an opportunity for some of these younger players to, to kind of grow into what the Rangers want them to be. And if they don't, then they don't. And then you know what you have at the very least. But I do think the Rangers are making decisions based on the things that Vigneault is doing, and it's just not working. I mean, to sit here and tell me that Jimmy Vesey deserves more ice time than Pavel Buchnevich, it's insanity. It really is. So I don't know. I don't know what a new coach – I don't even know if the Rangers are going to have a new coach. I mean, let's, let's at least give that reality some air to breathe itself because we just don't know. But I do think that the way the Rangers have moved, it definitely it, – it, it leads me to believe that there will be someone else behind the bench. Go ahead. I hear somebody breathing and, to make a point. Yeah, like before I – Cut, I'm not trying to cut you off. That's sort of uh, you could say that it worked out ultimately for the Rangers, but that's the whole. They trade Marion Gabrick to Columbus for Broussard and everyone else, and then obviously that ultimately becomes Zibanejad. But they fired Tortorella after they they lost in the playoffs. So it's a situation where you don't want to get rid of talent that you think could be amplified by a new voice. Um, and then you ultimately change the voice. So I, I definitely agree with that where let's see what we have here with a new voice, and then it doesn't work, it doesn't work. At least you said that you tried. Sorry, I was. Uh, I don't hear anything, so I'm assuming you finished making your point. I was just explaining to my wife about the tree that fell near the house on the side. Um, we kind of ran off topic a little bit. Um, let me ask you guys a question. The overall outlook for the Rangers right now is that they've won a couple of games. They've sort of moved themselves out of that top five pick that we thought they were going to get. You can't 
create an environment where you're losing on purpose. And, and I want to make that very clear as, as I continue to bring up the fact that it is better for the Rangers to lose hockey games in the long term. People continue to point out to me that you can't create that type of environment. And I'm not asking for that type of environment to be created if we're being completely honest. But what I do think the Rangers can do to organically create that environment is force kids to play bigger roles. And we have not really seen that. I think Vigneault did a pretty good job of it in the loss to the Jets last night, but we really haven't seen all that much of it. And I do wonder if the Rangers are going to sort of come, you know, you're not making the playoffs as much as the Rangers are quote unquote in the playoff race. You don't win these games where your goalie is making 50 saves and assume that that's going to be something that you're going to be able to continue to do and continue to sustain. We haven't been as angry about it on the blog because again, it doesn't matter. But when you take a, a hard look at the Rangers overall situation, the Rangers need to start losing some hockey games. And I do think we should see kids with more of an opportunity to play so that you can figure out what you have in them, but also because it makes you probably worse off in the long run. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on that strategy. And Mike, we will begin with you because I love you. Oh, thank you very much. Um, the thing that stands out to me the most about that point is the way that Buchnevich has been used since the deadline and before the deadline, you pointed out his ice time. Uh, this is a this is a huge opportunity, um, and you know if this is not what Vino believes, then he should be getting marching orders from the front office. Um, and I think that's an important point to make because, like you, I agree that his days in New York are limited. You know, they're they're numbered, um, and. You need, you really, really want to see what, you know, Pavel Buchnevich right now looks like against, you know, the other team's top lines. And you want him out there as much as you can, unless, of course, he's dealing with an injury or something that we don't know about. But that's, that's it's hard to believe that's the case, even though he has gotten banged up a lot this year. This just feels like there's just not been enough attention paid, you know, it kind of ties back to the D'Angelo thing we talked about before, but this is the opportunity to play these kids and to kind of throw them into the fire and see, you know, which of them comes out, you know, through the other side looking like, yeah, you can be part of the solution. And, you know, I use that language at the, the top of the podcast, but I think it's really important because these, these this is garbage time, you know, the, the Rangers are not going to make the playoffs, and if they do, they're going to lose in the first round. I mean, that's just that's what is a 99% chance of happening. And it would be such what a Herculean effort to make the playoffs yeah. in the first place. I mean, like you have no idea how much of an effort yeah. it would be to get there. Go on, Mike. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so this is just to me, this is just bonus time to evaluate prospects, to evaluate young guys. Guys, you know, and also in many ways to figure out like, all right, well, what happens if we really push Paul Carey? You know, what happens if we ask, you know, John Gilmore to eat up more ice time? And what exactly do we have in Neil Pionk? And what exactly do I think a, a great example of a guy they should really be testing is is VC. And I say that specifically because, Joe, you wrote that piece about the Rangers centers and, you know, they have. 
what is it, three or uh, at least three with Hayes, Nemesnikov, and Spooner, all pending RFAs. But they also have VC. And you traded Miller. And so, you know, you have VC as a guy who kind of feels like, all right, well, you can move him up on the depth chart and just say he's your third line scoring winger. I, my personal belief is that's where his ceiling is. I think that's where VC is. That's where he's going to exist. That's his wheelhouse. But you can test that right now. And you can continue to test all these guys to see what you have. And, you know, it's been it's been a little head-scratching to see what, what choices Vino has made. And I'm surprised that there hasn't been a message about, like, all right, well, you know, mix it up. In many ways, I feel like, you know, all right, one game, this is our first pair. The next game, this is our first pair. Because, you know, what's the point? Like you said, you don't want to say, like, we're going to tank. Everyone try less. You know, that's not what you can do. What you can do is use these games and get what you really need to get out of them. And I think for the Rangers right now, that is trying to figure out who the hell can help. Who can help? I mean, but it's not, like you said, it's not for this year. It's for next year. You've already made the decision that you're not, this year is, is a wasted cause. So it's about next year, which I, I find incredibly important. And I think the Rangers running DRNA into the ground, you know what you have in DRNA, and he's not going to be around next year. So there's really no point um, in doing that. I need to take care of things around the house. So I'm going to cut the podcast short. I apologize to our loyal fans, although we've actually we've run over anyway. Um, I do want to thank our Patreon supporters, though. Patreon.com slash BlueShirtBanter. I think you should all go to that, and you should donate. I also think you should go to iTunes and give us five stars and leave a nice comment so that people can find us, you sons of bitches. Um, Anthony Viola, John J. Porter, John Reppy, Johnny Alo, Alex Gardner, Eric Cohn, Alexander Ricard, Daniel DeGem, Matt Bader, 50, Guy from Montana, Andrew Grigo, Stink Fleeman, Dan Lynch, Mike Offit, Trevor Kepner. Gabriel Vargas, Dan Carosi, David L. Singer, Arch Williams, Bob Kawa, Scott Potash, Darwin Bushman, James Dangles, Alexander Thornton, Danny Santiago, Grumpy Smokey, Igor Zatlowski, Thomas Osa, Chris B., and Michael Silvers. Thank you all for donating. You make us better and happier and sexy things. Um, Michael, Thomas, thank you so much for joining um, we'll have probably just oh, as thank much you for talk me. about next podcast. Thank you. Because it's just, yeah, there's a lot going on right now. I think we're going to have a pretty good idea of where the yeah, range is going to There's a lot to unwrap. And, you know, that's the way I look at it. Is like we can end up talking about just what's happening with the team and also bigger picture stuff because, you know, it's, it feels strange, but I'm I'm excited for the rebuild because it just gives us, you know, something that's different. It's not just, well, let's see if they're going to find a way to get to the playoffs with, yeah, it's new toys. Just like Tom said, it's new opportunities, new chances for me to make Tom swallow a marble. You know, there's a lot of stuff we can look forward to. There, there's a lot of stuff to look forward to. Absolutely. Tom and marbles are, it's where it's at. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. We will see you next week. Um, once the summer rolls around, or at least the Rangers season ends, the podcast will go back to being Thursdays, but, with the Rangers playing on Thursday, these schedules have been a little wonky. So thank you all for listening. Thank you all for supporting us. Continue to do so. We appreciate it. And we will see you next week. 
Mike is a whale. Toodles. <laughs>